Once again, it's the Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast. This is Friday, July 30th. We're almost in August. But Betts, what is going on with you, my friend? Another week, man. Another week of DFS prep. Uh, it's so crazy that we're we're in August, basically. Like, if you're listening to this, it's probably August 1st or July 31st, July 30th. Like, it, it's time. Football is here. And that means training camps are open. I'm super excited, man. Um, this next month is going to be great for DFS. Just the, the prep. I feel so good about our process right now. So you're locked into a great show. And if you missed anything that we did over the last two, three, four weeks, I would say those are must listen to podcasts before we get into the next content here as we move forward. So go back and check those out. But man, I'm excited for football right around the corner. This is DFS for the rest of us. So this is all about taking the process of daily fantasy sports and making it simple, making it a way that's accessible. And yeah, the last couple of shows have been really good. I've been looking back at our show doc notes, and you know I love a good show doc bets. Oh, there is and... no one in the industry that that rocks a show doc like Kyle. I, I guarantee you, I'll put Kyle's show doc skills against anyone in this space. Man, maybe that's my like new hashtag, like rocks a show doc. That's <laughs> we'll get it trending. Don't worry. Does that make? I know you like are medically licensed, but I mean, there's a doc in show doc. Do you think I could get that as like part of my you know credentials? Add some letters behind your name, sure. Okay, that's what I that's what I really want. But I, looking at these shows, last couple shows that we've done, we talked about how to approach each position. We talked about roster construction. This week, we're going to specifically talk about stacking, and I'm calling it stacking like a champ. Maybe I should have said like a boss. That would have been better. It would have sounded way cooler. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, champ just sounds like, oh, we want to win. But a boss sounds like we know exactly what we're doing. We're going to recap a lot of this content. Bets and I, behind the scenes, we've been talking to say like, wow, I feel like as we're talking this out on the podcast, we're learning a bunch and we want to recap it. So as if you've missed an episode, you can go back and listen, obviously, anytime, evergreen content all throughout the summer. But Really leading up to September, I think this is a lot of stuff that's going to be super helpful. I wanted to get a quick question in, Bets, before we get into the main part about stacking and talk about the week. I'm releasing an article about the weekly schedule of a DFS player. And I know a lot of people don't have all the time in the world. They work full-time jobs, but they want to get better at DFS. So there's different parts of the week in terms of preparation and the best way to approach it. So is there any day of the week for you personally, that you look forward to in terms of your preparation. And then we'll follow up afterwards and kind of say, here's a challenge for myself. Here's where I want to get better. And maybe our listeners as well can kind of join us in that endeavor. Yeah, my favorite part of the week, this sounds silly to say, is Tuesday morning. <laughs> and like, you know, at that point, you're just waking up from staying up late to watch Monday Night Football. And you're like, Bets, how are you already thinking about the next week? Uh, I'm a sicko. And writing up the Vegas report in the DFS pass. Basically what I do is I go through all the lines that are available uh, for Vegas and say, okay, where do we think that there's going to be the most upside this week? What game environments look really good that we're going to be able to stack effectively 
better than our opponents. And we're going to talk about what that means tonight as far as stacking. But I like that part of the week because what I do then is that I just track the change over the course of the week. One little nuance with DFS that you can use to your advantage that maybe people are doing this, maybe not everyone is doing this, is that you you can use Vegas lines to your advantage by looking at where is the money coming in on these games? Where are, are people laying the money to move the lines? And it will tell you a little bit maybe about where we should be also putting our DK and FanDuel account dollars on in terms of what we're playing with these players in, in DFS. So that's kind of a little nuance to take approach to take but i like that and i like to follow that throughout the week so i like the the tuesday morning grind of looking at that and then writing that up in the dfs pass and i mentioned this on the previous podcast but i i'm a sicko when it comes to using a notebook on tuesday i just write it out really simple i used to do this in grade school bets where i know i was supposed to be listening but i just have notebooks that i've found recently that are just full of me writing out you know sports statistics in the middle of class I was a spreadsheet bro all the way back, <laughs> back in the day. That's amazing. <laughs> and But it is fun on Tuesday. You get to lay the land. You don't have to like get super serious about crunching numbers and salaries. Just like, okay, let me look at the games. Let me look at the lines and, and write down my thoughts. So I like that call. Tuesday is a fun day because you're turning the page on the week. I'm going to say Thursday night, if that's cool. Any quick thoughts on on that, bets? No, I, I, Thursday is great. You're watching Thursday Night Football. You know, you're, maybe you're playing showdown and then at the same time, you're also thinking, okay, like, you know, where are we going here? I know that you have uh, a new product coming to the DFS pass. Maybe you can tell the people about it uh, as far as Thursdays. And what I was going to say is maybe we just want to do a little teaser on this show. We have an announcement coming soon that's going to add to your experience with us this year on Tuesdays. I don't know if you want to say that today. Maybe we just give it a little tease. Uh, I'll leave it up to you. Dude, you're right. I, I buried the lead. I'm going to, you know... Tuesdays is something that gets your week started. You get to turn the page. So bets, I'll let you do it because you're right. I, I buried the lead. Both Go of us it. are like, I'll let you do it. And people are listening. are like, just say it. Just tell us what's happening. Uh, yes, yeah, so we have decided to add a second show per week this year to your feed. If you're listening and subscribe to the DFS um, podcast, which you should be on all platforms, it's going to basically be a short 15, 20 ish minute show that we give you the lay of the land in terms of like, here's how we see the slate overall. Not necessarily who are we playing, who are our favorite guys, but here's how we see the week going and here are the games that are really catching our attention so that when we talk on our Friday show, we already have that stuff kind of out of the way. You guys know where our heads are at going in. We can talk about what has changed throughout the week. And then from there, we can talk about, okay, here's where I'm going in cash. Here's where I'm going in GPPs. But man, I'm excited. Two shows per week. Uh, I think it's going to add a lot of value this year to our listeners. Yes. And, and that was just something we said, we want our listeners to get ahead of the curve. We don't want people to wait until Friday to hear the show. We obviously get to do a lot with our DFS pass, but yes, I was bearing the lead. We will have a second show this year, 2021 that comes out on Tuesdays. And then of course our big one that comes out on Fridays. So Tuesday is going to be a fun day, but I mentioned Thursdays because it's like a practice round, you know, showdown is not something that I would say I'm great at, there's just so much variance in looking at one game as opposed to the main slate where you get 11 or 12. So Thursday's a practice round. And for me, that's when I compile my roster percentage report, which is going to be new in the DFS pass. But that's when I started to look at players for the main slate and say, I think this player is going to be super popular this week. And I'll mention a couple of those plays this week when it comes to stacking, because last week we talked about roster percentages and how do you navigate that conversation. But stacking brings a whole different level where you're saying, I'm not just saying how popular this player is, how pop 
popular is this stack? And I need to combine the quarterback and whoever they're stacked with and see, okay, that's two players I need to figure out. Do I need to fade them? Do I need to get different in the stack? So that one, I, Thursday night's just fun. Thursday night showdowns are, are super great and I want to get better. Definitely at it. But last question, just in this opener, where do you want to get better? Because you and I wrote the exact same thing, which I think is hilarious. Uh, where do you want to get better in terms of the weekly schedule for you as a DFS player? Yeah, I wrote down here, I want to get better at my process Sunday mornings. And the reason that I wrote that is because it's not like last year I wasn't focused on Sunday morning of like building good lineups, but I feel like I got to Sunday and I was trying to almost kind of like rethink what I had done the entire week. Like, is this guy the right play? Is this the right game? Um, and I just spent four days in a row, like trying to get the right process down. And then I feel like when I got to Sunday, of course you have all these shefty bombs coming out. This guy's in, that guy's out. This guy's going to lead the backfield this week. And so all of a sudden your head is spinning with information. And I think that last year I got too much into like fancy play syndrome where I had this take that I liked a lot and I, I didn't go with my gut or what I thought was right. And then I adjusted last minute. So I just want to get better at kind of weeding out what matters Sunday morning and what doesn't because Twitter is is filled with a ton of content and people posting and Schefter tweeting every four seconds and all of a sudden this guy is in. And then there's a video from a beat reporter of a guy on the field warming up that you're like, ah, he doesn't look right. You know, so there's just so much. So I want to get so much better this year at being able to identify what matters Sunday morning and what doesn't and how it relates to the, the week of prep that we put in each week. That's what the uh, the people call the Sunday sweats with bets. Of course. Where you get close to lock. And you either add a couple of lineups, you quickly change your cash lineup. And usually for me, that hasn't worked out so well. And maybe you as a listener that has, maybe you have a success story. For me, I feel like I either throw away money at the very end or I'm making emotional decisions based on information that we have where I've had four or five days of the process. So the thing that I'm trying to work at is I'm trying to give myself Saturday completely off uh, family you know, whatnot. My son's going to be playing T-ball this year. I'm pretty excited about that. And then for Sunday, I'm still going to have some family time in the morning, but I want to be able to lock in my stuff and be able to enjoy this. Like DFS is a sweat. It is different than a lot of other because you have money on the line, maybe a lot or little. And I want to make sure that I still enjoy it. So Sunday pre-lock is something that I'm trying to refine my process and make sure that there is information we get, right? There's the in, the outs. There's the, this player is going to be on limited snaps. Like there's information that we need to move on, but it's different. Bets, I know that you are a DGEN and you play NBA DFS. And Me? that lock. No. no, I'm just kidding. Yes, I did. <laughs> NBA DFS, real quickly, do you want to explain that to people? Like lock for NBA DFS is a different level than NFL DFS. Yeah, people that are listening, you might play and you you get what it what it's like uh the news comes in so rapidly and so close to when lock is that you're almost just scrambling literally until like like you can see the countdown on the 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 app that you're using if you're on the desktop that like the contest starts in 58 seconds and you're like okay who's in who's at like you have to react so fast that there's a massive edge in being able to react to that news if you're able to in the moment because some people can't they're busy they're traveling they're whatever but in NFL, you know, we get every piece of information we're going to get an hour and a half before lock. So you have time to sit down, think about it for a few minutes, you know, calmly adjust and then go from there. And NBA DFS, holy crap, it is not like that. 
So part of that process we get to do together, and that's what Bets and I love. We love the process of figuring this out and walking through it with listeners, with people that are DFS Pass subscribers. If you want to get in on that and you're saying, hey, you know what? I'm It's July. I don't really know if I want to jump fully into DFS. We really think that the DFS Pass is a unique product that says you buy it once, you never have to get a subscription, and we think that playing cash game lineups and contest selection, some of the stuff we've covered on this pod this summer, you can make it back in one week. And I think that's pretty crazy. So you can go online to ultimatedraftkit.com. That still comes with the Dynasty Pass, the Ultimate Draft Kit, which is basically the best draft kit on the market. Uh, we love it, and we love getting to be a part of it. So you can go online and get a part of that lowest price, better than the price in season, and we think it's really great. But let's talk about stacking. Checking in with the wise guys. Bets, we actually talked about stacking earlier this summer, the June 11th episode, which I know everyone has bookmarked and they've listened to a couple of times, but that was about best ball, best ball stacking. And that was a really fun episode because one of our main things we talked about was would an idiot do this? We used Dwight Schrute as the example, but what is the biggest difference, just before we jump into the nitty-gritty of DFS stack, what's the biggest difference between DFS and best ball stacking? There's a couple of major differences that I first think of when you ask that question. When I think about best ball stacking, we're not trying to be right one week. We're trying to be right on a big sample size. So I think it's way more um, likely that you're basically going to be like, okay, I'm okay if I have a quarterback, a running back, a wide receiver, and a tight end on this team that are all from the same team like you get Tom Brady you get Ronald Jones you get Chris Goblin and all of a sudden there's Rob Gronkowski like great buck stack in DFS like you would never really want that much exposure across those different you know positions maybe you have a couple of those guys you don't want like three or four so that matters but then as well because we're trying to predict what happens in one week where we're reaching a ceiling we care a lot about what the other team is doing on the other side of the football so for example let's say the Bucks are playing the Chiefs in the Super Bowl and you're all in on Tom Brady and these stacks, well, if he is going to reach his ceiling, then presumably it's because Pat Mahomes and Tyree Kill or someone on the Chiefs is also having a great game. So you're trying to kind of find that balance of stacking that correlates one game environment or one week, really, rather than just a season-long outlook where you can embrace uh, some up-and-down weeks in DFS. Obviously, it's a one-week season. That can't happen. Yeah, and with... With best ball, you're playing an ADP game. A lot of the time, you're thinking of roster construction. You you have a limited number. You have 18 spots. With DFS, you're dealing with salaries. You're dealing with roster percentages at a different level than you would with best ball. So that episode, if you're still playing best ball, and you should be throughout August, then you can go back June 11th episode about best ball stacking. We're going to specifically spend time about DFS, talk about team stacks, game stacks, give you some uh, statistics to think about. The crazy thing is everybody knows about stacking. We're not telling people a new concept. You know, people are playing DFS and they're saying, I need my quarterback stacked with a wide receiver or tight end, somebody else like that. We're not telling new information. I think you and I want to kind of give the behind the scenes of like why this matters, how it correlates. So we're going to go through some correlations. We're going to give some examples but stacking in DFS really does come down to that big word of correlation and saying when these players go off, who else goes off with them? 
and it's betting on a combined ceiling. So you're thinking of two or more players and saying, what is the combined ceiling of, you know, we'll get to this example later, but Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. If those two in a GPP don't each hit about 25 points, if you don't get 50 points from them, then that is a terrible stack because you're probably paying up for those two. And I find myself doing this in GPPs and big tournaments, and I'm a bit more of a tournament player than bets, but I feel like I'm always searching for the perfect lineup, and it's almost an illusion a lot of times because I'm searching for the stack that is just way out there when there are hundreds of thousands of entries of some of these. So do you feel like a lot of times people go and search for stacks that no one else has when it's like, okay, go back to what correlates, go back to what matters? I think so. And we're going to talk about that concept a little bit more here in a few minutes about why correlation is so important and why the field, the people you are playing against, aren't doing enough correlation at their lineups. They're stacking, but they're not stacking the right way, so to speak. So I think when we break that down here in a few minutes, you'll understand what I mean by that. But uh, to answer your question, yes, I definitely think that that is the case. But not our listeners. No, we have the best. I mean, come on. They are sending us screenshots every week cashing winning money it's it's the greatest thing we have the best listeners and if you're listening if you're a spreadsheet bro just send me a screenshot you know like i mean we can bond over it it's start your own thing start your own screenshot google sheets let's be friends share it with me you know see what happens uh bets you are more of a cash game player than even myself and we preached every single person to say start off with cash i still love cash it's still my preferred that's where i've made the most money but in terms of stacking and cash, how often do you employ this? You're a one lineup person. I'm a one lineup person. We use for like 50-50s and, and head-to-heads and whatnot. So how often do you use stacking a quarterback with a pass catcher running back each week? Yeah, I don't really know that I have a good answer as far as like this percent of time I'm stacking versus this percent of time I'm not in cash. To me, it's all just about being able to play the best lineup that is a high floor type of lineup that has some ceiling to it. Of course, you want to have some upside, but I'm not looking to create or force a stack, I should say. If there's a week that it makes a ton of sense where there's, you know, a great quarterback play and I can get a couple of his pass catchers at a decent price, like, yeah, for sure, I'm going to do that. But because of the fact that cash games are so reliant on running backs being the foundation of what you're doing from building a lineup, I'm not trying to be like, okay, this is the Dalvin Cook week. Like I have to play Kirk Cousins. I'm clearly not doing that. So if it works in the lineup, awesome. We know stacking is a positive EV move. I'll do it. If it doesn't work for cash, again, you're just trying to be better than half the people in that contest. So you don't have to hit a ceiling performance, so to speak, to win money. And so in that case, stacking is a secondary factor for me in cash games. It, it sounds odd to say that, but I think it's true because you're trying to basically set yourself up where you're not buried but you're also not shooting for the moon in cash. And so we talk a lot about if you're going to play a quarterback on their own in DFS, we called that a naked quarterback. doesn't mean you're naked. It just means the quarterback's all alone. Uh, it does take away your most powerful option in DFS, which is correlation, right? Like a Lamar Jackson, if you just say, I like Lamar Jackson, he's going to get me 25 points. Then he's probably the best example because he's kind of a running back and a quarterback mixed together. But correlation matters so much. So I usually employ it because whatever quarterback I like, there's usually a wide receiver that's paired with him. That's like, okay, this guy's a stud. Or maybe he's a he's like 
medium priced and you say, okay, well, I can save there and get a stud somewhere else. Uh, but usually it's a running back like game. Cash is like, I want my running backs to get me the points. I'm going to pay up for them. I'm not trying to get cute at running back. So that's something that really matters. But what's the risk and what's the reward of stacking in a cash lineup? The biggest example I think of is remember the Bucks uh, game with the Chiefs last year in the regular season? You and I played a very similar cash game lineup. I can't remember who we had outside of these two guys, but I know it was the Pat Mahomes Tyree Kill week. If you had Tyree oh. Kill, you had a great week. And you and I going into that late sl- uh, slate, the four o'clock games on the East Coast, we were texting. And I was like, man, I do not feel good about this week. And we both were below the cash line. I was like, I need Pat Mahomes and, and Tyreek to go off for us to get there. And then all of a sudden, it was one touchdown, two touchdowns, three touchdowns. And before you know it, you're sitting pretty feet kicked up on the coffee table with a cocktail in your hand like, I'm making money this week. Sweet. So the advantage is that it can kind of save your week if things go south. Um, the disadvantage is the exact opposite. If those players have a down week and we know that at wide receiver, there is a lot of variance, that can t- can, that can basically bury you if you have a a spend up option. If you spend up for a Diggs, a Tyreek, you know someone like that, and then all of a sudden they have one of their floor weeks, well, that could really ruin your your lineup in cash because other people they're paying up for running backs who are more reliable. We know on a week to week basis, and if those players in the pass catcher position have a down week, you could be sitting there shrugging your shoulders, saying like, "Ah, I wish I hadn't have done that this week." But I think the difference is in GPPs. You're embracing variance. You want ceiling. You don't care about the floor, right? So that's why it matters so much there. Yeah, those afternoon games play with your emotions because there's usually like three, um, at least on the East Coast. Those are the four o'clock games. And that week it was like, oh, crap, we need Mahomes and Hill to come through. And obviously Hill went bananas uh, for 200 plus yards. And it was awesome. But yeah, there's a risk and reward in cash. And I just want to say it's a good strategy. It's something that most of the time we will do. But if you want to diversify yourself, I did have weeks last year where it was like Josh Allen or Kyler Murray. I trust them. And I don't want to pay up for Diggs this week or I don't want to pay up for Hopkins I want to get those running backs in there. So you get Kyler and you'd say, I want Dalvin and I want another high price running back. And then just kind of say, I want a bunch of 6,000, 5,000, 4,000 priced wide receivers. So that's the only time in cash that I would get a little different. But I want to give people the example. And I just pulled this. Bets, how much salary do you think someone should devote in cash lineups? I'm going to give you three examples. And I want you to just pick which one you don't know the fantasy points. I didn't give a week, but I just wanted to give you an example. Let's say, I mean, we obviously know Devontae Adams went bananas and was awesome every single week. But on average, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, if you were stacking those two last year, that was a third of your salary already. You don't even have a running back in your roster and a third of it's gone. If you were using Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen, it was about 28%. And then if you're using Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews, it was about 27%. So those are kind of close. They're with each other. But is there anything that's scary about saying I'm using Rogers and Adams and devoting a third of your salary? I mean, the fact is, if you're spending up on those guys, clearly you can't spend up anywhere else. Or maybe you can at one position, but then you're basically punting at four or five. And so it is really scary because those plays are so thin. So when you allocate that much salary to one scenario, which in that case, the scenario is Aaron Rodgers throws touchdowns to Devontae Adams. And of course, hindsight analysis is like, 
yes, that's a great stack and it's going to work. Uh, he caught a touchdown every week last year, basically. So if, if those things don't work out, we know that there is a strong correlation in terms of a player's salary and their performance in terms of fantasy. And so it, when you're doing that, you're saying like, I'm counting on this to hit. And if it doesn't, I am absolutely toast. Yeah, it's the risk reward that we brought up earlier. And with Adams, like you mentioned, hindsight, every week was an awesome week, basically. I, I just I'm interested in, in how we think about those players, because as you combine a stack in cash, you are limiting your access to a lot of other players. So let's just say that you did use Rodgers and Adams and there was a $4,000 running back that week. Like, OK, that can work like you have somebody uh, in your arsenal that you can do. But for the most part, I'm trying to diversify my cash lineup where I can have lots of different paths to success when it comes to GPPs. I'm going narrow because I don't want everyone to have the same lineup as me. So with cash, I'm a little bit more willing to say, if I'm going to have a stack, I'm okay at being a little bit of a cheaper stack, uh, but it just kind of depends on the slate and what we're doing. But let's get into some specifics about team stacks. Team stacks is what most people think about as the normal stack. You get a quarterback and you combine them with a pass catcher and everybody and their mama is doing this. So you're not getting cute. You're not, you're not different than anyone else. It's pretty common that people are utilizing team stacks. We mentioned last week that in terms of millimaker lineups, every single t- week, somebody used a team stack except for one. And it was that weird Taysom Hill week. So what are the main questions that people need to consider when they're thinking about a stack and where to start before they get to players and matchups and analysis? Yeah, I think in DFS, the mindset should be what is the cost relative to this upside? And what I mean by cost is literally the salary. Like how much of your salary are you are you spending on this stack? And if it's a lot of money, it has to hit or you're done, which we, we've already established that, right? So I think that that is something that provides a little bit of a context as to how you feel about that week and that that how much conviction you have in that player and that team and that stack, that game environment, et cetera. And then as well, factoring in the roster percentage, looking at not just, you know, what is this wide receivers roster percentage and what is this quarterback or this tight end and quarterback or whatever you're doing, but combined, how much of it is your roster percentage, right? Like if you have someone that's a 20% quarterback, that doesn't usually happen. That's a bad example. 15% quarterback and a 25% wide receiver, like you have to understand that while it might sound like a great play on paper, it probably is. If those two hit, a lot of other lineups in your contest are also getting elevated to the top. So it may not be a way that you can kind of differentiate differentiate yourself. I think those are two huge questions to ask yourself. And then combining those two thoughts of like, here's what it costs me as far as my other sacrifices in my lineup. And here's how popular it's going to be. Like, what is the ceiling relative to the the money that you're spending? I think it's always really important to to factor in value in a stack and value in really every position in DFS, but thinking about fantasy points per dollar and what the ceiling is that you see relative to what you're spending. You can do that equation before before Sunday. Like you can actually put in the numbers if you want and say Aaron Rodgers cost this much. I need him to get this many points for my for my lineup. And we're kind of transitioning more into like GPP conversation. But I think that's important, Bets. Like fantasy point per dollar is something you can figure out. Do I need 25 points from Aaron Rodgers? And, and for a lot of times in a GPP, for a ceiling and a stack, you need both those players to at least get 25 points each. So like 
if Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams don't hit 50 points in a GPP, like that's not helping you at all. You're actually not going to be buried. So you have to figure out that and then weigh that against other players that might be cheaper. But team stacks need a couple of things to go right. And I'll just mention these and then we'll get an example. Team stacks need this. They need the right game environment. And I think this is something that Betts is really good at. This is what he does with the Vegas and kind of the the parts of the DFS pass that are really, really good is the implied totals. Is this a good game environment? I write up a pace of play article. Is there a scenario and a narrative where we could say this game could go off? Or I look at this game and it's really popular and say, I actually could see a path where this actually hits the under and I'm going to fade that game. You also don't just need the right game environment. You need the right combination of players in a stack. So a lot of times the easy stack is the quarterback one and the wide receiver one makes sense. But we've talked about the volatility at wide receiver. The wide receiver two is almost just as highly correlated. It's actually kind of crazy how close those two positions are. So is it this a week for DeAndre Hopkins or I don't know. Who's the Cardinals wide receiver too? <laughs> I was going to see who you would say. Uh, AJ Green, let's go with that. I, I would say AJ Green because uh, I think Kirk's going to play the slot. I don't know with Rondo Moore. I think it's AJ Green. Anyway, uh, so you need the right game environment. You need the right combination of the players. And that's why in GPPs, we always talk about max entering. If you enter one lineup, you're probably not going to get the right combination. If you enter 20 and max enter it, then basically you could say, okay, Maybe it's Hopkins, but I'm going to throw a couple of AJ Green lineups in there as well to stack with Kyler Murray. And the last thing you need is you need the right kind of leverage. You need to figure out how I can create distance from my opponents. So just to spring it on you, once again, this is one of my favorite things, bets. I want to play a game. Why? Why do, why you do this? <laughs> um, pain pain teaches you things, bets. Okay, <laughs> how to control your heart rate. That's what it teaches you. Let's play a quick game here, and I want to kind of illustrate this. So if you don't, if you're not with us, I like to play games to mess with bets, but also to get you as a listener in on our conversation and kind of throw you into a week and say, how can we use this information? So I chose this at random. Betts has no idea. But last year, September 27th, we all remember that date. What were you doing, Betts? Well, I believe my loving wife had asked me that week, what would you like to do for your birthday this week? My birthday is on September 30th, so I look forward to all the, uh, the gifts that you'll all be sending me. And I said... Honestly, on this Sunday, I just want to do absolutely nothing, have no responsibility, and just watch football. So I was probably relaxing Sunday morning, sweating these lineups, and then all of a sudden just chilling on the couch. I think that's my entire day. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of your Sundays. Yeah. It's like, I want to she, chill. Oh, and, uh, dude, Monica makes fun of me so much because uh, she'll be like, you've literally been sitting there for like four hours straight. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like... <laughs> So it's it's funny. I'm also not just doing that. I'm I'm getting ready to write up the injury recap article for the site each week. So I'm doing a little bit of work, kind of mapping out how things are going. But I sound like a true, uh, a true DJ on Sundays, just sitting there <laughs> checking my lineups over and over. September 27th. This is week three, so I know that's etched in every single person's mind. But uh, if that doesn't stick out to you, that's totally okay. What I want to do is I want to give a couple of stacks. In fact, I want to give you the most popular stacks 
that week. And I could actually tell you this information pretty much ahead of time. Now, there's going to be a little variance in our roster percentage report, but I could at least tell you who the most popular stacks are going to be. I can't tell you their fantasy points all the time, but I can tell you who's going to be most popular. Okay, so you ready, Bets? Hit me. All right, so the most popular stack was Kyler Murray plus DeAndre Hopkins, and they were playing at Detroit. Okay, now they were the most expensive by far stack, and their combined roster percentage, get this, Bets, was almost 63% between a quarterback and a wide receiver. What does that tell you? To me, if I would have known that going in, which I will be able to identify, it's a fade. Like, that's what I would do. I would fade that, right? Is that what you're asking? But they're playing the Lions. I know. And this is where context matters. Like, Kyler as a Russian quarterback, you could say, if he runs in two touchdowns, then DeAndre Hopkins presumably is not getting there that week. So I think that that is a way to look at that as well with that Russian quarterback. But yes, I uh, I would fade that immediately. Okay. And I'm not going to tell you until the very end whether you're right, you're wrong, whatever it is. But Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins were this stack that people use the most. This is from the Million Maker. So the most amount of lineups that people could use. And their salary was almost $15,000. Okay. 8.7% of the field used this stack. So not just Kyler, but like Kyler and Hopkins together. That was a, by far the largest that week. Okay. Let me give you a couple more. The second most popular was Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf. They were playing the Cowboys. The fourth, which I'm skipping down, was Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett. Okay. And those were basically the same exact salary. And their roster percentage was Metcalf was about 39% with Wilson and Tyler Lockett was almost 34%. So those were the next highest quarterback wide receiver stack. And people were basically saying, I got to pick between Metcalf and Lockett. So based on that information, and they were playing the Cowboys, and it was week three, anything that stick out to you? Yeah, I would say a lot of, I mean, you could you could eliminate, or not eliminate, but identify a ton of rosters that either had Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson. because people are picking just like which wide receiver do you want is it Metcalf or Lockett so it's telling you like in this tournament it's a lot of Kyler it's a lot of Russ and then you kind of can predict because of that and you know that people are bringing a bring back you can kind of identify and see where a lot of the chalk is going especially at wide receivers so uh, that's the biggest takeaway for me yeah those were the popular wide receivers Hopkins Metcalf Lockett Um, the fifth most and I'll get back to the third the fifth most was Trubisky crazy enough uh, and Allen Robinson, and they were a much cheaper stack. Like you could save almost $2,000 from that Seahawks stack. And they were playing at my Falcons and their roster percentage was only 20%. So what do you think people were thinking about that stack bears versus Falcons? I think they probably thought of that and said, okay, this is a way that I can, I can be different than the field. Not a lot of people are doing this. It's also cheaper. So I can spend up elsewhere so maybe people were thinking, you know, I could play this bear stack. I could bring it back with uh, Calvin Ridley if you wanted to or Julio. And then from there, you can identify some other chalk plays or maybe plays that are more popular, but not feel like you're getting too chalky in tournaments. So I think that's probably where people were going with that one. No, that's dead on. And just to be real with people, bets did not see any of this stuff. Um, I just sprung this on him from just, you know, just scrolling through DraftKings just like a like a champ. I want to give you the third most popular stack, okay? And it's one we talked about last week. 
it's the running back and defense stack. So this kind of like gains steam throughout the week, I feel like, where people figure out who the running back is. So spoiler alert, Miles Sanders was by far the most popular running back this week. He was rostered almost 42% bets. Like that's what just based on that information, what does that tell you? That's silly. Never would I ever in especially in the millimaker. Like, no, you you don't want that. And I don't know if our projections would have him that high that he'd end up at 42%, but I think we would have had him over 30%, probably maybe even 35, which is still really high for a running back and a running back that, you know, no offense, but it's the Eagles. But it was Sanders plus the Philly defense was the third most popular stack. Their combined roster percentage was over 50%, just those two alone. And we talked about this last week, but you want your combined roster percentage to be somewhere in a GPP between 100 and 125. I don't think you're going to be able to get there uh, with just a running back and a defense. So those were the five most popular stacks. If you knew that information ahead of time bets, if you knew that, any actionable information or any actionable thing that you would take? I mean, hindsight. There's no way I would have played Miles Sanders and and the defense because you know the correlation is the lowest for those two together, which we talked about last week. Uh, also, shout out to us for tying that game. That was a miserable experience for me. Um, <laughs> hindsight, I would have been like, you know what, Atlanta's not a very good defense. We've seen Mitch Trubisky have ceiling games before. Allen Robinson's a stud. If I knew that only twenty percent of my you know salary or, or roster percentage rather. And then that small $12,000 salary hit that that takes, I would do that most of the time over these other super popular chalky stacks. So this week was interesting because the question that a lot of people asked was, do I stack Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins or do I stack Russell Wilson with one of his wide receivers? The correct answer that week was saying, I want Russell Wilson, I want Tyler Lockett, and I want DK Metcalf. So you actually, if you would have picked all three of those and then ran it back with somebody from the Dallas side, you would have had a Millie Maker lineup. So if you want to scroll down a little bit, Bets, I actually do have the winning Millie Maker lineup. But this is something that I want to make sure that people understand. If there is a popular stack, it doesn't mean it's a bad play. All right. It, it doesn't mean that people are just need to fade it. Now, you can have some lineups where you just say, I don't want any of these. I'm going to find the really cheap stack. You can play the popular stack, but if you're going to do that, you have to get really different at other positions. Bets, do you see who the two running backs this person played uh, in their running back slots? Yes, none other than Jeff Wilson at $4,000, rostered at 2.4%, and Rex Burkhead, again, 4,000, at (laughs) 1.9% that week. Uh, those two respectively put up 21.9 and 34.8 DraftKings points. Uh, what? <laughs> That's so crazy. I'll just say, I'm not telling people to say in hindsight, this is bad. I will say we, I did mention Rex Burkhead that week in the dart throws. Just shout out. Not for saying, just saying. But I, the point, the point of the exercise is more to say, if you're going to go popular with your stack and you feel like a lot of people are going to be on it and we mentioned in your roster report then figure out somewhere else to be different. Because if you're paying up at those other spots, you have to pay down, right? At running back, which is, we would say mostly like that's the craziest spot. So Rex Burkhead was more of like a dart throw that hit and he really didn't hit the rest of the year. There was a popular running back they did flex and it was Derrick Henry, which 
make sound like white. Why is Derrick Henry just kind of like added on? Derrick Henry that week bets was actually the eighth most popular running back. Like despite despite the game, he's playing at Minnesota. He put up 30 points, but there's a way to construct your lineup with a team stack and look at it and say, okay, if I'm going to be popular somewhere, I need to be able to get different. So let's go through the three questions we mentioned earlier. You need three right things to happen. So I think you'll you'll start trekking with me. But what do you remember about Seattle in terms of it being the right game environment and uh, who they played, the Dallas Cowboys? I mean, the stretch that Dallas was on those first few weeks was insane, like literally giving up 35, 40 real life points to opposing offenses weekly. Dak was in a ton of shootouts, so you knew that that was going to happen. That that was still the time when they were letting Russ cook, so everyone was hyped about the Seahawks passing attack. They had just come off. I remember week one against your Falcons. They had a great week with Russ. I can't remember who they played week two, but there was just steam for, okay, this is the season to let Russ cook. Dallas's defense is horrific, and their offense is equally awesome. So this was like the chalk game environment of the week. I remember that. For sure. So it was chalk. But once again, that doesn't mean it's bad. It means that it's identified as a good game environment. And remember that Seahawks defense, dude, it was so bad. They were on pace to allow the most yards, passing yards in NFL history. So Seahawks games through the first half of the season averaged 63 total points. Like those games went over that game, Seattle uh, and Dallas, that one went to 70, let's see, no, 69 points. Very, very nice. Like it, it just was a good game environment. Next thing, the right combination of players. You don't just need the right environment. You need the right combination of players. So you needed Russ. You needed Lockett. You needed Metcalf. But what did you need on the other side? Yeah, on the other side, you had to bring it back with someone on Dallas. Because again, if you think the game's going to go off, someone's going to do well on Dallas. The popular plays would have been you know, Zeke, uh, obviously Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb maybe. But Michael Gallup sitting there at 6.8% in this tournament was the play he put up 28.8 DK points that week. And we're looking at this once again in hindsight, but playing that stack, if you're going to play a Seahawks stack, and maybe a double stack, which we'll explain even more in a second, if you're going to play Russ and you're going to play Lockett, or Russ, Lockett, Metcalf, you have to bring it back with somebody. And so maybe the best play in that scenario is to say, okay, who is less popular? And Gallup probably would have been that 5,500 um, so we're looking backwards, but it is fun to look at this. And the last thing is you need the right leverage because Miles Sanders, I mentioned it was the most popular player last week. And he actually was kind of like a good price. He was 6,400. So there's a reason that a lot of people had that in lineups. Let's mention they had the Seahawks and they said, all right, well, I need Miles Sanders in my lineup. That didn't give you any leverage over the field. You already had three super popular guys right there. You're almost sitting at 100% in your roster percentage, and you have three players, four players on your team. So how can someone gain leverage knowing that they have a team stack? Yeah, I think if you if you know you have that team stack, if you know it's going to be popular, you're already identifying and saying like, okay, I'm, I'm accepting this as the plays that I think are the quote unquote optimal plays that I, I'm in on this week. I know they're going to be popular. I know everyone else is going to have this. So if that's the case, then at that point, you would just look and say, okay, here's where the chalk is going at running back. Uh, here's where it's going at, you know, the wide receiver two or three or tight end that week. And then from there you say, okay, here's where I get different. And it really is all about that running back position because at wide receiver, 
you're you can't spend up on other chalky players, right? Like you already have the chalk. At running back, you can't spend up because you already spent so much of your salary to create that chalky stack. So now you have to kind of get different at running back. That's how you get weird. And people aren't really doing that often in tournaments. And looking back at this lineup, um, just shout out to Cloths of Heaven, who won uh, a cool million dollars that week. They had Austin Hooper, who got 5.5 points, which is nothing. So it's not like they had every single part of it right. They just happened to avoid some landmines at tight end. They did get 26 points from their defense, but they had the right combination of players and they had right amount of leverage where they went super, super contrarian at running back, knowing that they had a really popular stack. So that's just something to keep in mind. It's not bad to be popular, but you have to figure out a different spot to gain leverage. And they did it running back uh, with our boy Rex Goathead. Let's, let's talk about game stacks. So we mentioned the team stack. We mentioned looking at the Seahawks, but let's talk about a game because it's not enough bets to have your quarterback with the pass catcher. Everybody's doing that. We want players from the same game environment that is allowing this to kind of grow into something bigger. Like that game we just mentioned was 38, 31. Like that's an environment we really want. And the quarterback wide receiver combination is super popular. It doesn't give you an edge. Like if you had had Russ and Lockett that week, you would have done okay you know, Lockett went for 40 points, but it doesn't mean you're going to win a GPP because you're not really setting yourself up for that game to go off and you'd gain leverage. So why are game stacks, we mentioned this earlier, but why are they like this really high risk and high reward in GPPs? Yeah, you're basically saying to yourself, if I play this stack and I bring it back with one or two other players on the opposite side of the ball, you know, in this example, it was the Cowboys and the Seahawks. You're saying to yourself, if this game goes off and goes nuts, then great. I have Russ and I have Lockett and Metcalf. Well, if that also happens, then you should be thinking, okay, what's pushing Russ and Lockett and Metcalf to have to put up fantasy points? It's probably because Dallas is also having a great week. And so you want to kind of think about that correlation where it's that back and forth type of mentality. And I always think about it this way too. Like you're just trying to get fewer things right in GPPs. It's so hard to win in GPPs as is. But if you put yourself in a position saying like, I believe this is the game stack this week. If I get that right, you're probably way better than half, like half the field already. Like as long as you just get that game environment right, you may miss on the wide receiver you should have had or that kind of thing. But over time, that will result in those top, you know, 10 finishes, those top 15 finishes that you look for when you win the big money. And that's what you're embracing with that variance is that correlation, understanding there is variance though associated with it. That's that's a great point because a wide receiver in a different game. Okay, so let's say you try to play a wide receiver that wasn't in that Dallas Seahawks game. You might get it right. You might say, I hit on Demarcus Robinson, who's a dart throw, or you know, you hit the week on Mike Williams, your boy, big Mike Willie. Uh who's forever in your heart, by the way. I love that guy. You're not going to get that right most of the time because you're going to have the wrong combination. So why not try to find someone you know correlates? You know within that game environment that Michael Gallup or you know CeeDee Lamb, those players actually do correlate. Mike Williams had zero correlation with Russell Wilson that week because they weren't in the same game. They had none. So might as well take a shot in the game stack. And then you're also putting yourself in a position where you have a combination of three or four players that a lot of other people aren't having. They may have the, the Russell Wilson title locket, but you're kind of elevating yourself and gaining leverage with other people. So 
that's something to think about. But there's other correlation, and this is something that I'm still trying to figure out how to explain. But beyond just you know quarterback and wide receiver, like that's the easiest way to explain stacking. There's more correlation, and in the game itself, there's an environment where if a quarterback's having a big game, if Russell Wilson's having a big game, it has a positive effect on every other player in the game. Like if he's doing well, even the running back two, Tony Pollard has a better shot that week to do well. Let's say if Zeke went down or something, he catches a a pass. Like it just elevates the whole thing. And so why not take a shot? Does, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I I think it makes perfect sense because you're, you're saying that if this player, again, we're talking about GPPs where you, all you care about is ceiling. I would rather finish dead last than finish like, oh, I just missed the cash line. Like you want to basically Bobby. have that mindset of like, Ricky Bobby, we're going for the top. So you're telling yourself, if Russ has to go off this week, explain it to yourself and tell yourself a story why that happened, right? Well, again, it's because the entire game environment is a shootout. There's a lot of fantasy points being scored because they're pushing the ball down the field. So is the other team. They're back and forth, that sort of thing. So I think that makes sense that if, if your quarterback is going off, think about what that does to the rest of the team and then as well the, the opponent on the other side of the ball. Shout out to 4 for 4 4 for 4 Fantasy, great website. Been doing stuff for a long time. This is a hot stat bets. I wanted to make sure that people know. They looked at this and they looked at a five-year sample size of of games, which is pretty large. But they found that when a quarterback posts a 25-point game, there's a 61% chance in DFS that the opposing quarterback will too. That's pretty wild that you could actually say if one quarterback's going off, the other one's going off. And obviously in DFS, we can't play two quarterbacks. This isn't super flex. But it does tell us that there's something on the other side of this game that tells us there's there's a ceiling for another player. And a lot of times we only think in terms of quarterback and wide receivers, but the quarterback and running back stack is kind of a saying this offense is going to roll. And the best example of that last year was Tannehill and Henry. Like we played those two together. It sounded weird because you think of Henry as just being this grinder, but you can also set yourself up to say that quarterback and running back, you're going to get all their touchdowns. Do you think that's something that people don't employ that much? I think that's probably the least popular thing that I see in tournaments that I play in for sure. Yeah, I think that's people always assume, okay, it's got to be the pass catcher. And I think inherently that makes sense just intuitively, right? Like this quarterback is throwing to the wide receiver. That's double fantasy points for me. Let's go. But we have to, like you said, think about that ceiling aspect. We want the touchdowns that clearly give you the most fantasy points. So I think that that is a very sneaky way to get different uh, without having to sacrifice good, solid, projected performance in terms of fantasy. This is wild, and I'm going to go through some statistics, and Bets and I are going to talk about correlation for a second as we kind of come down the hill here. But we don't usually think about running backs and quarterbacks as being the main you know, correlation because unless they're catching the ball, there isn't. Like, he runs it in. That's not great for the quarterback. But Fantasy Labs, shout out. Bets and I love doing some Fantasy Labs deep dives. They've gone all the way back to 2014. So that's a lot of data. So since 2014, the running back one has a higher correlation, all right, with their quarterback than if you were to go to the opposing wide receiver one. So, you know, just looking at this big data set, you know, there's lots of individual games, obviously, but like you could say Henry had better correlation. Henry actually had pretty good correlation for a running back one with Tannehill 
then always banking it's going to be the wide receiver one. Now, a lot of times it's going to be that. Like it's going to be that player on the other side, it's a wide receiver. But a running back one is something you we need to think about because it exposes you to a lot more. And there's some pretty strong correlation at different positions. So any any of those, we have some charts in front of us. I know you guys can't see, but any of those correlations, any takeaways that you and I kind of got to talk about in terms of fantasy points and what correlates in stacks? Yeah, I think one thing that people know is, okay, the quarterback and the wide receiver one correlate, of course. But I think we should be thinking about, and this is kind of where the balance comes from, like the analytical side of this, plus like the game and understanding of football side of this, that there's an equal, basically, it's it's 0.55 for the wide receiver one, 0.53 for the wide receiver two, and 0.5 for the tight end one correlation with the quarterback. So it's almost equal, honestly. It's almost an equal opportunity to create correlation with those types of people uh, catching the football. So for example, let's stick with the Cowboys. Okay, Dak, if Amari's the popular one that week, he's going to have the same chance based off this data set of hitting as is CeeDee Lamb, as is Blake Jarwin. Now, we know in, in football that those pass catchers have more upside than Blake Jarwin, clearly. But this is kind of where the balance comes in. And I think this is a huge point that I did not focus on last year that I'm very excited to attack this year in GPPs is understanding that even though everyone goes to the wide receiver one, I would say almost always that player is going to be more popular in tournaments as far as the roster percentage. But this is telling us that the correlation is essentially equal. So why don't we just go sometimes to that wide receiver two to create massive leverage on the field and everyone's playing that wide receiver one? Do you feel like the field, which makes it sound like it's just a bunch of dummies out there, just a bunch of people just clicking, <laughs> just like, oh man, this, the field doesn't understand anything. We... That's exactly what I picture. <laughs> just a field of dummies just blindly clicking, which uh, sometimes what we all feel like. But do you feel like the field doesn't understand that you should be double stacking more? So a quarterback and two pass catchers. Like, do you feel like that should show up more? I think it's, I mean, it depends on what you're doing, right? If you're playing in a huge tournament like the Millie Maker or something like that, where it's thousands and thousands and thousands of people that you have to beat, yes. We know that that increases the correlation. We know that it increases the likelihood that those players are reaching their ceiling. I went back and looked at, uh, again, this is with Fantasy Labs, looking at the top 10 lineups in the Million Maker over the last two years. The players that use the quarterback and two of the pass catchers, they were doing it when those players finished in the top 10%, 41.2% of the time. The field, uh, as Kyle has alluded to, these idiots that are just clicking buttons, apparently, uh, are doing it about 29% of the time. So there's an edge in doing it because a lot of other people are not doing it. And it's shown that that top 10, fin- top 10 finish is higher when you do that relative to when you don't across the field. So I think, again, that's another place that you could get more aggressive with correlation and stacking uh, that not a lot of people are doing. I realize that I've definitely been a part of the field. Oh, in the 100%. Past. Me too. Yep. But... I mean, so Betts and I can be a part of the field. I know that you as listen as listener are definitely not, but it helps that the field's like nameless, faceless, just a big herd of people that are just idiots. Uh, <laughs> people don't incorporate it as much. And it's something that you and I want to make sure is a part of our arsenal. I'll also throw in tight ends because apart from Kelsey, Kittle Waller, like the, the, the names you know, we kind of say like, uh, I mean, like, do I see a ceiling? Is it really there? We kind of underestimate tight ends. And looking at these correlations, the tight ends almost correlate as much with the quarterback as the wide receiver too. 
So they're usually cheaper too. Like usually these guys are accessible. You can put them in your salary. And I've mentioned players like Hayden Hurst. I've mentioned that a couple of shows, but players like that, like Jarwin, those players, if they hit, it means their quarterback did. You know, Dak can obviously go off with any of his guys, but if you're going to play Blake Jarwin, you have to play Dak Prescott, in my opinion. Like you don't really play, you don't play Blake Jarwin naked, do you, Betts? Oh, I would never. That sounds terrifying. Mike would. Mike totally would. (laughs) If Mike was playing DFS, he would literally log in every week, select Gibson and Jarwin and log out. Or, oh no, maybe this year it's Troutman though. I don't know. Yeah, without getting dressed for the day. It's just, let me put this in, log in my lineup, lock it in. 100%. Uh, Let's go to one more little uh, tidbit here. And you and I looked up the tournament roster percentage. So we looked at from 2014 on, this is what actually happened in a tournament. This is how popular players are in terms of roster percentage. And what I found interesting is comparing what people did with what correlation is. So the biggest change that I saw is that when people were stacking with quarterbacks, they severely underestimated how good the wide, the running back one was and they overestimated the running back two. Like they overestimated and said, okay, well, if I'm going to play the quarterback, then I need to play Naeem Hines every single time. Like I shouldn't play Jonathan Taylor. Or if I'm going to play the quarterback, I I probably need to play whoever the pass catcher is and just fade the running back when it was a lot better. So we mentioned earlier, the quarterback, the running back one, it creates leverage and the field's not really doing this. We're not saying to do this every single week, but if you want a, a lineup that's going to gain leverage, it's saying I want Henry and I want Tannehill that week. But any other takeaways that you saw from the tournament roster percentages really over the last, what, seven years? Yeah, when you're looking at that, like you said, there's underestimated, uh, as, as we as analysts or players, DFS players, we're not really factoring in, like you said, the opposing RB1. Like what you were saying was, if I have, let's say the Colts are playing the Bucks just because they're on our show doc. And you're predicting, all right, Brady and Chris Godwin this week have a great week. You're telling yourself a story that, okay, well, it's Brady and it's these pass catchers because they're going to go off. And as a result, Carson Wentz is going to have to throw up to play catch up, presumably to Naheem Hines, which sounds totally logical in our head. But this is telling us that we're over, I think, simplifying that scenario that you could also say, well, on the flip side, like, what if Jonathan Taylor runs in for two touchdowns and now Tom Brady's having to throw a ton to keep going? So I think that there is a, another way to create leverage. People are always bringing it back with a pass catcher on the other side of the the, um, the game. You can also do it with a running back too. It's been shown to work uh, and does have positive correlation as well. Yeah, the field, the field basically overestimates pass catching running backs a lot of the time because their game script, right? Like Naeem Hines is not going to get their workload unless the game script is great. Same thing with Jonathan Taylor. Uh, it was last year, whenever they lost, the Colts were 11 and five. So in their five losses, he had like 45 rushing yards. So if you guessed wrong, like 45 rushing yards per game, if you guess wrong on the Colts, then one of those two running backs like is definitely like buried. And that's just something that I think we're not great at. Another thing the field I mentioned is the tight end. It's just, we are not that confident in tight ends. We think they're all touchdown or bust, but there's actually better correlation than we realize. So that's one of my other takeaways uh, looking forward is is thinking about these tight ends and how to employ them in game stacks. Not necessarily saying I want to play Gronkowski by himself, but 
We saw in the Super Bowl, like if Gronkowski rolls with what two touchdowns in the Super Bowl, like so is Brady. And and that's just a good good takeaway to to do. But let's let's do a couple of review, just three quick reviews. If that was a lot of information, we said the word correlation too many times for you. Bets, let's go through three quick reviews. So I'll let you take the first one. I love this. Uh this hits this is home. Stacking is like getting a verified check mark on Twitter, which when that happens, you feel good. You're like, "Ah, this is so sweet. Like, there's not that many people that have this. But let's remind ourselves, everyone is stacking. Stacking is cool. All the cool kids are doing it. But now it's normal. And I feel like recently, Twitter is just (laughs) handing out check marks left and right. And there are two uh, bros in this industry, you're listening to them right now, who did not get the check mark. We got straight up shot down, which is really funny. Uh, not verified. We'll get there one day, hopefully. But you have to put a personal flair on what you're doing with your lineup. Again, everyone's stacking. Be willing to get different. Be willing to kind of go against the grain here. Um, it's not unique as you think it is. Yes. And maybe that's just me being bitter or you being like, maybe it's a little bitter. We didn't get the check mark, but. Reality is, I think everyone's going to get the check bets. I think it's going to be a thing where everyone, they just want to verify our information. They just want to share it. They just want to have our social security number. Maybe that's going to be the, the future where the verified people are like, what? I thought this was, this was cool back in the day. Not anymore. Everyone's going to be verified. That's my, that's my uh, prop bet for the, for the week. So you do have to get different in stacking because everyone is doing it. Uh, Yes, we can be tongue in cheek, but just realize with stacking, you have to think about it in terms of roster percentage, how to get different. But number two, stacking is like a, a greenhouse for fantasy points. So if you have the right game environment, you have the right combination of players, you have the right leverage, then you are basically setting yourself up for points to just erupt. And that's a really good feeling when you're stacking. You're not just saying, "Ooh, I hope these two players, I hope this whole thing grows into something bigger where I could win a GPP or I can cash because I have two players that are feeding off of each other. And why don't you hit the last one? I love this. Stacking is like a party to invite new friends. You're saying, all right, this is where I'm going this week. I'm going to Seattle with Russ and Lockett. Let's bring some friends with us. Let's make this a game stack. Let's make this a party. Like we want to get, again, get as much upside and uh, fun. Really, those game environments are fun to find. So that game stacking unlocks a lot of correlation that not a lot of other people are using. And Russ honestly is not that fun of a person. Like his personality is like very robotic, but it could get a little bit more fun. If you're saying, I don't want just Russ and Lockett here at this party. Maybe if Metcalf and Gallup show up like this, this party could just go over the top or exactly. you felt you, you could feel comfortable. You're like, I know Russ, I can count on Russ and Lockett. The problem is, is that that party, that wild rager that you're having with those two dudes is not going to get as, as wild and over the top as really you need in a GPP. You know me, Bets. I am always, always just uh, throwing ragers. I go to bed at 930 most days. Yeah, but that's that's what you're cool, though. Like if you host it and you're like, right, I'm going to bed, like you guys can stay however long you want. Just let yourself out. Um, yeah, no, that's that's what we're doing on the weekends. Me and me and Kyle. So hopefully that is a good overview for stacking. If you have questions, feel free to message us on Twitter. I'm at Kyle underscore Borg, still unverified. Betts is at the Fantasy PT, still unverified. And maybe I'm on team like no verified after after getting shut down. 
uh, burn it to the ground. Kind of <laughs> maybe this may be me. Um, regardless, um, hopefully this is helpful. Uh, any last words as we close for the people? Yeah, we'll try to get some stuff up for you guys in the DFS pass that kind of recaps this concept and that is an evergreen resource for you to use moving forward. But this episode, I think, was huge for success this year in GPPs. We'll see you next week. Have a good weekend. See you in August. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.thefantasyfootballers.com.